Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome. I'm Jonathan Hassan, and this is yet another edition of TV7 Editor's Note. And joining me uh, this time here in Jerusalem, all the way from Spain, is my dear friend and mentor. So many things, Dr. Rafael Barraghi, CEO of Worldwide Strategy. Uh, it's a pleasure, as always. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Indeed. And uh, as we always do here in Editor's Note, we'll start with prayer, and then we'll dive into a very interesting uh, scope of various topics, uh, and I encourage you to uh, join us and uh, also to remain tuned in as uh, this might uh, provide a lot of enlightenment, I would uh, emphasize. Thank you, Lord, for today, Father. Thank you for the blessing and privilege of being able to be here together with the uh, Raphael. Uh, Father, I pray that you'll bless this program, bless uh, the viewers that are watching us right now, also with uh, uh, the understanding and knowledge that uh, may be guided by you in order to bless each and every one of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Rafael, um, we obviously have been uh, uh, missing you from TV7 Europa Stands uh, for a couple of months now. Uh, you've been quite active uh, back in Spain. And with quite the impressive successes, how about you tell us a little yeah. bit of background and, and what's it all about? Yes, well, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, no, we had been living under a very radical social communist government in the last five, four years. Uh, we had uh, recently, a couple of weeks ago, uh, local and regional elections uh, where this government suffered a big defeat. I mean, there was a big rejection of the policies carried out by the, the social communist government. And because of that, the president decided to call for early elections in, in a few in, in a month's time. So we have been busy in putting, you know, the narrative and the marketing and the strategies uh, to convince the people to vote against the social communist policies. We obtained a big result in uh, in, uh, in the regional and uh, local elections, and we are now doing our best for uh, defeating the government in the general election, despite all the tricks that they are playing, no? dirty mm. tricks, uh, like selecting a day where almost 20 million Spaniards will be on holidays. No? Mm. But anyway, that's uh, political life. No? But it's political life that has also dire consequences, not only for Spain, but also for other countries. Yep. Yeah, the I government think. that has been rubbing shoulders with Venezuela, with Iran for that matter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, the Spanish government has been the worst you can imagine in a developed country uh, for many years uh, or forever. No? Uh, I think linked to all the wrong people. No? Uh, Nonetheless, Europe is changing. I think we had the we had the election in Sweden. We had the election in Finland. We had the election in Italy. Now we have the chance to replace the social communist government with a conservative right center, uh, supported by the my party, the, the conservative uh, right wing party box. And I think that it's creating a new momentum in Europe. No. Uh, the politically correctness, the wokeism, the social democrats going to the left or to radical left has the date 
the days numbered at least. No? For, there is an, a light at the end of the tunnel, I think, for the first time in many years. No? And that will have also repercussions in the way the European Union is conducting their business, no? which is going to really the streams and craziness. No? Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm optimistic for the first time that, yes, there's a constellation of parties that are emerging and uh, are progressing in the, in the path to the to power. No? Which is a consequence, as you say, of the European institution in Brussels and Strasbourg, for that yeah. matter, as well. Uh, we saw that also, of course, in the regional elections in the Netherlands, where the Boer yeah. uh, party also uh, won quite decisively uh, in uh, most districts. So it, it's quite apparent that people are not happy with the dictates of the institution in Brussels. Well, I think generally people have a good common sense. And I think the institution that should be representing us had lost all the common sense you can imagine. No? They are taking measures that nobody voted for. Mm. Uh, they're trying to be the nanny super state, telling us what to drink, what to eat, what where to move, where to go, uh, what kind of cars should we use. And I think it's too much. You know, People are realizing that uh, nobody entitled them to, to change socially so much and uh, that you, you have to push the brake, no, somehow, no, and I think this is a good lesson. The problem is that those institutions are accelerating their movement because they know that they, they may be reduced and limited in time if the new governments arrive in Europe. And they're also backing uh, certain uh, well, yeah. contenders. Uh, yeah. If we take Poland, for example, which is uh, due to have its own elections, uh, you know, Donald Tusk was appointed mm as a commissioner in the European Commission at the expense of the one that the Polish government wanted. Yeah. Uh, of course, he, he is Merkel's man, so he got that uh, opportunity. But then now he's running in, in Poland, and uh, the people in Poland, uh, it's down the middle, it seems. The, the polarization in yeah. Europe is also well, growing. The, the European Union has become a revolving door for politicians who lose their election in their countries, are preserving this ecosystem of radicalism, um, political correctness, and then when they decided, they send them back to fight against the institutional governments, no? which is not for what the European Union was created or thought originally. You know? uh, I think there have been many quantic jumps that we didn't realize on time, no? but now I think people are fed up, really, as enough. I mean, you cannot impose us to, to eat worms while they are celebrating with uh, beef in, in Brussels, no? and uh, or moving from diesel to electric car that nobody can afford, no? or not talking about the reality of the batteries, which are much more contaminating than the, the diesel or gasoline uh, engines, or you know, uh, closing down farms because they think there are too many farmers in the world, no? And uh, uh, I think that they have lost control of the reality, and, uh, and that's something people is now really suffering and thinking that this is enough. And it seems that uh, it's not only happening, obviously, in Europe. It's also happening in the United States, uh, which, uh, of course, the 2024 elections are going to be a, a big deal, not only for the U.S., but all over the world. Yep. Uh, and also here in Israel, uh, there is an ongoing polarization on both sides, uh, which seems that efforts to somehow mitigate yeah. the capacity of small radical groups is proving to be a challenge. Yeah, but the, I think they, they have a point in the narrative that they want. No? Uh, the progressive are saying we are the true democratic people, the real, real tolerant people, but in fact they are the more 
dictator, dictatorial and the more intolerant people ever. No? Uh, but they flip the narrative. No, if you if you are fighting the the wokeism, you're a fascist. No? Uh, which is the opposite. If you're debating it, uh, yeah, yeah, it's the, the opposite. matter of debate. Yeah. You know, I, I obviously studied television and, and everything that has to do with it in order to create what we created yeah. here. And uh, it was always about debating different opinions and giving room for other opinions yeah. and allowing you to challenge that. Correct. And by doing so, you could indicate your validity, your position's validity, yeah. which ultimately is today rejected. It's nullified. In part because the left, which is behind all these politically correct and uh, wokeism uh, mentalities, has always understood politics as warfare. No? It's the opposite of, of uh, Clausewitz. Uh, and, uh, and because of that, you have to demonize your opponent. You have to win everything no? and uh, and destroy completely the will, in, the will of the, 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 your opponents. No? And there is no room for understanding or room for consensus, because uh, consensus for them is the way they had all the power. So that mentality has to be challenged, and has to be changed profoundly. And I think uh, only the conservative and the center moderate right can do it. Let me challenge, though, one point. Let's say Vox takes the lead in, in the election alongside the, the major conservative party, and uh, together you form a coalition. What can you do when your constitution grants Brussels all the power? Well, that's true, but I think the, you can negotiate somehow uh, some of the policies. No, I mean, still, there is a devolution process, and it can be done, no? but you have to be firm, you have to be constant, and you have to negotiate from strength. Uh, and strength means political will. That's mm. the issue. The problem here is not negotiating with Brussels, it's that the conservative parties, the popular parties in Europe, are prisoners of the pro-European narrative in the, of the past. They, they have not been updated the information from Europe, no? and uh, so it's going to be different. Only the what we can call the alternative right is promoting an alternative vision for the European Union. Um, for the time being, unfortunately, the alt-right in Europe is relatively small, no? with the exception of, uh, of course, a few countries like Finland or Italy or Sweden. No? Let's see. Well, uh, another angle that I think that is also important to highlight is the fact that there is a difference of understanding in the Baltic states mm -hmm. and the West European states. Uh, the one seeks more reform, the other seeks evolution, uh, so to um, speak. Well, I think if you have experienced communism, in your own blood and flesh for many years under the uh, power of the Soviet Union, you have a total different culture, experience, and vision for the future. And I think the great divide in Europe now, again, is from the Central East Europe and the Western all Europe uh, because of the historical experience. Uh, and, and that can be seen particularly how they perceive Russian policies and invasion of Ukraine compared to other countries, no France or Spain or Portugal. No? So, but the key question is understanding that they had been prisoner of communism for many years, no? uh, and that's something which is very good. Uh, mm -hmm. We we have we have a buffer zone against this 
progressive policies because they, they know what it is and they know the ruin they bring morally and economically and socially to their countries. Mm. Uh, let's take another angle of uh, this issue, and that is illegal immigration. Um, the West has been contending with, if I look at the Netherlands, about 50,000, 55,000 a year. Uh, it means that within 20 years, uh, even less now, uh, the Netherlands is going to be predominantly Muslim, uh, not Dutch yeah. uh, origin. Uh, it's also becoming more and more apparent. I hear from certain you know, intelligence officials and, and ambassadors that certain ambassadors who are appointed from different foreign ministries in Europe who come from origin, either from Turkey or elsewhere, they start collaborating with the ambassadors of Turkey to align their own agendas. Mm. And then it seems like they're not really representing their home countries in the West. So it seems like this is slowly, slowly taking its toll on Western countries, also on the diplomatic yeah. front. What can be done in, in such a situation when even uh, taking the European Union here in, in context, we have ongoing investigations, arrests, near weekly of different politicians for corruption scandals having to do with the Qatari uh, corruption, having to do with Moroccan okay. corruption, with Turkish corruption, that have invested billions mm -hmm. in shaping Europe into receiving their Muslim migrants. Yeah. Well, I think uh, operationally speaking, preventing illegal immigration is easy. It's easy because we know the routes that are used. We know the infrastructure they're using. We know the human traffickers uh, that are involved. And I think we should attack uh, the human trafficker as we did with the pirates in, uh, in the Indian Ocean. Sincerely, mm. I think uh, we, we, we can destroy the infrastructure. And without infrastructure, there is no way they can come. Mm. Or it will be much more limited, okay? Secondly, I think uh, it's a problem of culture and aesthetic vision. For the left, Illegal immigration and Muslim immigration into Europe is another tool to fight capitalism and to fight a liberal society. But there are some parts of the conservative and the right that understand that having illegal immigration is good for the businessman because they can pay lesser salaries. Uh, and they only judge immigration in economic terms, not in the social damage they produce. No? Mm. Or, and and that's, that has to be changed. Um, In Spain, we spent around probably nine billion a year in illegal immigration, but social benefits, no? which is more than the defense spending. Uh, and that's ridiculous. They never contributed to anything to the welfare state, and they are taking all the, all the benefits away from, uh, from the Spanish people. And that's something that had to be changed radically. You know? mm. And ironically, those same people will end up, or the, the progressive left is going to be the first victims yep. of those coming in, uh, which is, by the way, the same in the United States. You see groves of uh, people, groves of uh, illegal immigration entering the country. Nevertheless, those people entering the country, for the most part, uh, particularly Mexicans, they're conservative in nature and will end up one yeah. day, if they yeah. turn out to be Americans, uh, vote for the Republicans rather than the Democrats. So How is that in the calculus as well? Well, that, that's changing in America. No? In the past, the uh, uh, Hispanic immigration has been with the Democrats, shifting. 
uh, nowadays, but in the past they were more linked and related to the Democratic Party, and they thought that you know making it easier for them to vote will favor them. In Europe, it's slightly different because uh, uh, yes, it's, uh, the, the, the Hispanic immigration, particularly to Spain, is conservative, religious-oriented, family-oriented, but the Muslim is not. No, and uh, even given the fact that the Muslim is against all what the progressive understand as a normal life, and you see the, the amount of violence against uh, uh, gay people in the streets by Muslim in Europe, uh, for them is a price to a, a price to pay if they inject this Trojan horse into European societies. No? So it's how to, to ride the tiger of contradictions. But for them, you know, it's a, it's a secret weapon, no? and, uh, and uh, that's something that has to be stopped. Interesting. Well, of course, there's the Australian model of how to deal with immigration, which is uh, very uh, successful, at least from what I hear. Uh, yeah. But uh, also here in Israel, it's been quite successful after roughly 100,000 illegal immigrants uh, walked into yeah. uh, Israel from uh, various African countries. Uh, they ended up putting that security barrier, which is very Efficient. It, yeah. it seems to have blocked uh, all entry. Uh, at the same time, we need to reform the uh, legal immigration processes because if legal immigration is almost impossible to accomplish, you get illegal immigration. Right. So we need to be to make clear that immigration sometimes is needed, but it's the right immigration you need. No? You have to pinpoint what kind of profile you're looking for and make the the, the, the mechanism open to them. Absolutely. Well, let's move to another topic because I think it's a very important uh, topic which you are very knowledgeable about and uh, obviously have uh, uh, quite uh, the understanding of this issue. The Islamic Republic of Iran is on, on the verge of breakout uh, to having enough feasible material for uh, several nuclear weapons. Uh, it seems that the Americans are on the verge of having uh, a sort of an arrangement with uh, the Ayatollah regime, despite all the different discrepancies that uh, occur. Uh, it seems like the policy of containment of this Biden administration uh, continues unhindered, and uh, they seek to basically uh, brush it under the rug until the next administration has mm -hmm. to deal with it. What are we going to ultimately have to deal with? Unfortunately, ultimately, you have to deal with a nuclear Iran. The issue is now what is going to happen from here to the elections in the United States. You know? The Iranian has a window of opportunity to force the American, current American administration to unfreeze billions they have uh, abroad uh, for a promise of not deploying nuclear weapons, you know? not stopping the nuclear program, but not weaponized somehow the, what they have. You know? uh, I think the American administration is ready to sign such a kind of uh, agreement and pass the problem to future generations. I understand that Americans feel secure. They have a nuclear arsenal. They are in the distance. And they can, you know, promise no regime change in exchange for money and not killing Americans in Iraq or somewhere else. That's fine for them. No? Containment has worked with the Soviet Union, with China, with... Apparently Australia. not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, one thing is on the nuclear level. On the non-nuclear level, the conventional level, the, the, the exchanges can go on forever. Mm. And that's a problem for, for the region, no? for Israel, the Saudis, and others, because, okay, you close the door of any nuclear exchange, but you are giving them an umbrella and a security guarantee, you know, that they, are, they can do under the th 
nuclear threats or whatever they want, and they are not going to be attacked. That will embolden them uh, with, through proxies, through terrorist actions. Uh, so in any case, we are going to see a much more emboldening Iran in the next coming months than in the past, unless we take another path, which is increase sanctions and make them feel the heat for not behaving as they, they agreed in the past uh, nuclear agreement, no? which was a bad one. But anyway, they had gone well beyond all the limits set by the GCPOA. You know? Well, the Central Command, the Americans here in the region, agree with you because apparently they are deploying additional forces in Al-Hasaka and other areas in Syria and Iraq and elsewhere, which indicates that they are preparing for an emboldened Iran and potentially trying to deter Iran from continuing its un, uh, you know, unabashed uh, attacks against U.S. forces and U.S. coalition forces in the yeah. region. I mean, if I were in Tehran, seated, I would look at America, which is decaying. The president is too old. I don't know who is going to be the next president. But even if the worst case, Trump wins again the elections, he will be focusing on how to reach an agreement with Russia and Ukraine before focusing on Iran. So you have time, you have money, room for maneuvering, and, and you can do whatever you want from here to then. Uh, so, yes, it's a matter of uh, combining the military capability of your enemies with the political will. And it's a multiplication, it's not an addition. So uh, political will zero, capability 100 equals zero. No? Uh, so that's what the Iranians may think. No? But if they do an stupidity, they will provoke a reaction. So they have to be also careful. No? And the Iranians know that if they do provoke a reaction, it will cost them their regime. When you're looking at the region, would a nuclear-armed Iran, or it's already a threshold state, but let's say that uh, an Iran that has the capacity to potentially claim to have a, a certain arsenal of sorts, will it provoke Turkey, for example, Saudi Arabia, other countries in the region to also turn nuclear? Well, historically, you have extended deterrence uh, by America to European countries. But even so, the French and the British developed nuclear weapons. So I assume that the same dynamics will happen in the region. Uh, the traditional adversaries of Iran will say, we want not only the weapon because we need to be in the same path or level of uh, nuclear deterrence with Iran, but also because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pride national pride to be in the equal footing. So Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Egypt, Algeria. Israel, potentially? Israel, should, I think, uh, may be reconsidering the nuclear ambiguity policy. Yes, why not? Mm -hmm. Well, we have roughly five minutes left, and I, I do want to highlight one more topic, and that is uh, the fact that, you know, the, the war in Ukraine is continuing. Uh, it has rattled uh, the European... Mm -hmm. NATO composition, as you mentioned yesterday, uh, in uh, the very intriguing episode of Watchmen Talk, which I very much appreciate. Uh, do you see the, the division between France on the one hand, which seeks to have a certain coalition of European states joined together in building a certain defense for a long-term strategy, as opposed to the Germans, who are all about we currently need to deal with a threat. Let's just deal with it. Acquisitions from Israel, the Arrow 3, and other countries, and then uh, be ready and, and look how to proceed from there. 
Well, I think uh, the division, the political vision, the divisions in Europe still are there, but it will be much more dependent on what happened on the ground. Uh, we have been waiting for this famous spring offensive, which never happened. Now it seems to be developing a little bit. But if the Ukrainians are not able to present a victory vision that they are reconquering the ground and they are doing that in a, in a Jurassic speed, no, it's inch by inch over the weeks, I think people will start asking whether this is a, a military solution to this conflict, I'm afraid. No? And, uh, and well, it took 30 years of war to ultimately reach the Westphalia treaties of 1648. So maybe, you know, that brought about the independence of the Netherlands and, and Germany and other countries. Maybe yeah, it could be, but I don't think we or Russia, the Ukrainians, have the time for a 30 years long war. No? Uh, I think we we may be seeing uh, some kind of negotiation at the end of the year because. Even if we want to provide more ammunition, more weapons, more systems, we are depleting ourselves. Mm. And at some point, we, we need to keep the forces we have in order to repel a potential attacks on us. No? And Ukraine has no money, and the Russians can keep the economy for two years. No? After that, uh, you know, they will start suffering. Uh, but for the time being, the only winner here is China, no? unfortunately. Uh, but uh, also a new American presidency may change their vision about Ukraine. Uh, the Republican Party is not as eager as keeping the help of financial and military as the Democratic Party or the current administration. The progressive side of the Democratic Party is also not very in, engaged with the issue as well. But there is bipartisan support, it seems. Yeah, yeah up to now, yeah, for the, yeah, I mean, but the, there is also, I mean, the Republican Party is also the, 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 the traditional burden sharing, no? It's, mm. They are paying 50 billion while Europe is 8 billion. No? So at some point, uh, they have to balance that. No? Uh, and so I, I can't see a, a, a war going on forever. No? I think uh, we are much weaker in the Western camp to, for helping Ukraine over years. Mm. Uh, so I think... The Ukrainians understand that, and they are now trying to get a quicker solution. No, they are focusing on Crimea as the best strategy to bring down the Russian forces in Ukraine. I don't know if they will succeed or not. No? It has to be seen. Is peace viable? We have several seconds left. Not now. Nobody wants to compromise. An armistice, maybe? Um, but it, it depends. I mean, the casualties are mounting very rapidly, so the fatigue will come. And uh, I think they will be forced to make an understanding sooner than later. Well, Dr. Rafael Barraghi, it's always a pleasure having you here in, in Jerusalem and Helsinki and elsewhere as well. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you taking out of your busy schedule uh, to come here to the studio. Well, thank you. My pleasure, as always. And I'd like to thank all of you also at home. Uh, and uh, until next time, from us here in Jerusalem. Shalom. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.